Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. If you have an interest in real estate, then this is the episode for you. Today's guest is Sean Greer, the Vice President of Real Estate and Strategic Growth for Vacasa. For those of you who aren't familiar yet, Vacasa is the premier vacation home management company. They serve over 3 million guests per year and have over 299,000 five-star reviews. Pretty impressive. Now, Sean is responsible for the company's core real estate transaction business, compliance, real estate technology, and growth through vacation home sales. We cover the future of real estate, particularly the growing vacation rental industry, and what to think about before buying a second home, as well as the best markets for vacation rentals. Here we go. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Kadena Podcast. Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about vacation rental industry. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's something that's kind of uh, booming right now where it's like you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, where you get that that war of having your own vacation home, but possibly also make it a bit of investment at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, pre-COVID, we saw the awareness of uh, the alternative vacation, alternative accommodations, which vacation rental sits within about seven to eight percent growth year over year. And then with COVID, uh, you know, everybody wanted to still travel, but have private amenities. And we've seen the demand on the guest side dramatically increase. You know, 20 percent is uh, year over year growth. Uh, and the awareness has definitely grown. So that translates into the demand for the product, which uh, is the supply side for vacation rentals. So it's been it's been a great couple of years, um, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens here in, in 2022. Yeah, it's definitely, it seems like real estate is booming across, you know, all channels right now. And why do you think that happened like with COVID? Was it the fact that people could no longer take a cruise or go to Disney World that they were looking for of like more of an intimate getaway. Was that like the main driver? Yeah, the, the main drivers were um, just distance of travel. You know, people didn't uh, feel comfortable flying on uh, an airplane. Also, international travel uh, was uh, reduced quite substantially. So you had people that still wanted to get out uh, outside and they were willing to drive two to three hours. And so what we have seen is the demand two to three hours from urban populated uh, markets uh, increase quite substantially. And that goes for the real estate side as well. People, you know, once they traveled to these areas, they then wanted to purchase a property. Uh, so that in addition to people have a lot more flexibility now because they can work remotely. And so what we're seeing is the duration of stays also increase uh, when people are just traveling you know, two to three hours from where they live. Got it. Got it. And everyone, I think when they start to hear about this field, this industry, they think of like Airbnb. So how does a company like Vacasa, like where do you guys fit into that equation? Are you a, a competitor? Or are you different than that? Like they just seem kind of like the uh, the jungle or the, uh, the king of the jungle right now, I should say. Yeah, they definitely have a, a great brand awareness. Uh, we're quite a bit different in that we supply the inventory that Airbnb has on their website. So they're a strategic partner of ours. Uh, what we do is full home management. And so 
we are responsible for taking care of the property, also booking the property, getting uh, the finances, paying on behalf of the homeowner, the local hotel taxes and any other taxes at the municipality level. And then we also take care of the guest while the guest is in the property. So we have a 24 hour concierge service uh, the guests can call in. We take care of all the house uh, cleaning when the guest checks out. And so quite a bit different than Airbnb, which is uh, an online travel agency, roughly or booking platform where you just go to find the properties and book it. Gotcha. And now like with you guys, can people book directly through you? Like, cause I've, like I've used Airbnb plenty of times and sometimes you know, you'll go to a site and when you go there, you, you meet the homeowner or someone with the homeowner and they say, oh, you know, if you enjoyed it, call us next summer and we won't have to deal with Airbnb. Um, <laughs> would you operate in a similar fashion or is it more kind of you're working behind the scenes, but then the guests or clients should continue to use an Airbnb? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, we get that a lot. We actually have about 30% of our bookings go directly through vacasa.com. So we have our own uh, booking platform. In addition, we have our own app, which uh, oftentimes guests will engage with and rebook, uh, sometimes in a different market. Uh, and, you know, what we went to market with early on in the vacation rental industry and what we've been successful with is yield management. And that's really getting the most value or the most money for uh, the vacation rental asset. And part of that is how many eyes and guests can you get uh, that see that availability on the calendar? And so that's why we're partnered with Airbnb, Verbo, and other booking channels, as well as we book directly through vacasa.com. Got it. And I assume the draw with booking direct is you're eliminating some of those third-party fees that you encounter with Airbnb or Verbo. Yeah, there are some fee differences. And then there's also uh, just the communication differences. Like you mentioned, uh, Airbnb will put you in touch with ultimately whoever's managing that property. And then you kind of uh, start communicating with them. So there's a little bit of different uh, communication as well. Gotcha. And how did you get into this? Like this, it's something like you hear Airbnb and it's one of those things like, man, why didn't I think of this? Cause it's so, it seems so simple yet it like completely revolutionized the travel and the hotel industry. So, I, I mean, how did you come into this and what are you kind of doing differently? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, Vacasa was founded uh, by Eric Breon and he actually inherited a home, uh, a family home uh, on the Oregon or in Washington coast. And he was looking for a property manager. And when he went to go interview those property managers, they told him he might get three to $4,000 for the year. Uh, and typically what he was doing with his family is he would travel there and then he was just working on keeping on the property maintenance the whole time he was there. And so what he decided to do was to uh, managed the property himself. He started renting it out on Verbo. And that first year he made $25,000 in revenue. And uh, he has an analyst background. And so what he really took Vacasa to market is uh, direct online booking. You know, we were one of the first online booking platforms that you could do before Verbo and others uh, where you could just click to book. And in addition, uh, our dynamic rates. And so our rates can change uh, similar to like an airline up to four times a day based on demand, weather patterns and that sort of thing. And so that's really where 
Vacasa got started. And then as you kind of peel back the onion across the United States, vacation rentals have been around for a very, very long time, especially on the East Coast. And, um, you know, even though we started out on the West Coast, it's a very fragmented industry and market locally run because you have to have boots on the ground. And so there was really an opportunity to bring uh, technology and innovation to the fragmented industry. Wow, that's really cool, Harry. I never thought of that, how they could have that dynamic price changing, but that, you know, certainly makes sense that they could incorporate that there. And so what do you, I mean, what do you foresee for real estate? Because I think it, it's something that we saw in 2021 was like ridiculous, the growth. And, and I'm, I'm speaking out of Jersey, but I know dealing with clients across the country that this wasn't something local. This was, you know, across the board, we were seeing, you know, prices really escalate, especially in suburbs. Um, you know, what was the, the driver there and, and how long of a runway do we have with this? Uh, or is it just going to slow down? Is it going to correct? Like, what are maybe just some of your thoughts out of the crystal ball? Yeah, great question. You know, uh, as I said before, we were seeing in 2019, we were seeing um, demand for vacation homes starting to rapidly increase. And in uh, 2019, we started doing a vacation home buyer report. Uh, and then we also followed up with that same report in 2021. And what it showed in 2019 was 40, 42% of vacation home buyers were buying it for a property investment. They were uh, going in to look for their first property as an investment, not just as, hey, I want to go spend family time here. And in 2021, when we did the same report, we see that number has jumped from 42% to 58%. And so what you have is a dynamic of the broader real estate industry has been doing well for the last decade and people are interested in investing in real estate. And then on the vacation rental side, it's an asset where you can actually get utilization as well. You know, if you own an annual rental, you can't say, hey, tenant, uh, go move somewhere else for the weekend because I want to go use the property. <laughs> in vacation rentals, you can just book that weekend out um, put a hold on it, and then you can use the asset while it's not generating revenue. And so uh, what we've seen since the pandemic is that just exponentially increase. Um, and in fact, you know, in 2020, Q3, uh, the trailing home sales, trailing three-month home sales for vacation homes was about 100,000 uh, properties a month that were specifically for vacation homes. And as I said, you know, almost 60% of those are looking for some sort of financial return. That in addition to, uh, you're, we're starting to see institutional investors now come into the space. Um, as uh, if, you, if you've been in real estate for, for a little while, you've seen the large institutions start to uh, build uh, built for rent subdivisions that they rent out to tenants. Um, the yields are getting pushed down on those because there's so much demand and competition that now some of those investors are looking into the short-term rentals because you have higher yields and higher returns on short-term rentals. Um, so what we're seeing is institutions and everyday investors wanting to purchase these assets for financial returns. In addition, you have the normal demand of people just wanting a place with their family. Uh, and so, as I mentioned before, you know, two to three hours from these major population density areas, 
we're seeing very high uh, demand and you know supply is even shorter than it is in uh, in the urban markets. Yeah, and I just want to clarify one thing when because I was going to ask about this with the institutional investors. So were you saying that you're seeing more of that um, where they're buying up what looks like a condo community, but they're all just for rent? Uh, or are you saying that they're also getting into the vacation rental space? They're also getting into the vacation rental space. So, they are. Um, okay. you know, there are multiple platforms that are basically creating securities out of vacation rentals where you can buy in um, very inexpensively uh, to a broad number of people. And so it's an asset class. Uh, and so they're purchasing up individual single family properties um, and, and having uh, them managed. Um, you also have some developers that are building purpose for rent as short-term rentals, which has really been around since the 80s. But in the 80s, it was mostly uh, in the Gulf Coast, along Florida coastlines, and it was condo towers, and they sold those as uh, timeshares. So it's a little bit different model now. Yeah. And it, with that, I mean, do you feel that that's starting to put downward pressure on just the average investor out there hoping to buy this vacation rental now that they're kind of competing in a way with, you know, big money? Um, you know, or is there enough kind of room in the sandbox for everybody? Yeah, great question. I think it's a little early to, to tell um, because these institutions are just now getting SEC um approval and just getting into the market. But what it means is more demand for the same product, right? It's already uh, real estate uh, supply is already at uh, extreme low inventory. And now you're going to have more demand come into the market. Yep. And that's, I think, one thing that a lot of folks get confused on when you say that there's such low inventory, which obviously, if you look at the price increases, it, it sounds correct. Like there's a kind of a, a difference here in supply and demand, but especially like in, in places like Jersey or, or Pennsylvania, kind of near where I'm a little more familiar, it seems like everywhere you look, they're just building a new gigantic condo complex. And, and a number of them that they build, you'll find out that like they kind of pause the construction because they're trying to sell a few more units and it doesn't seem like they're getting filled up that quickly. So what can you say maybe about kind of the uh, the lack of inventory, but at the same time, it seems like everywhere you turn, they're building up these these complexes. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, the, the complexes are typically three to five years out. And so some of the projects that you see uh, go vertical now, those were actually started three, four years ago. Um, and um, one of the challenges that, that we've heard from a lot of the developers that we work with is just the supply chain challenges. And so there have been some schedule changes based on supplies um, across the country. Uh, in general, though, if you look across the entire uh, real estate market, um, you know, we have enough inventory for um, about three months of inventory, uh, which is not a really healthy market. It, it definitely, the, the sellers are still in, uh, in control. What I see happening is as the Fed start to increase the interest rates and price points of homes are getting so high, it's putting some downward pressure on just the, the rate of that growth. And so as where we saw, you know, 20 to 25% price increases year over year uh, in the last year. Uh, I think we're going to see those come quite a bit down. I think we'll still see 
um, good demand, um, but the price increase, uh, the, the velocity is going to, to decrease. We'll still see um, a, a price increase though. Gotcha. All right. That was great. Cause that's kind of what I was trying to hit at. So you think a combination of with the fed inevitably raising interest rates, which they're talking about doing a number of times this year, especially with inflation being such a, you know, kind of hot button issue. So you're thinking that a combination of that plus the already elevated prices are going to lead to a bit of a slowdown. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll definitely still see price appreciation and demand continue to um, to be interested in, in the asset class, but we'll see the, the rate, you know, we're not going to see 20, 25% price increases. I don't believe this, this next year, uh, because the price points are so high. And then as interest rates continue to increase, you know, the, the buying power for individuals go, goes down at a, at a price point level. So, uh, we're still going to see a, a lot of demand for the vacation rental asset. I think, um, you know, we have a, a long run rate here. And as I said, if you're an investor, uh, the yields have been pushed down quite a bit on the annual rental side. And so we're just now at the beginning of the opportunity for the vacation rental side. And it's really a fragmented market. You know, there, um, the, Vacasa is the, the largest vacation rental management company in North America, and we manage a little over 35,000 properties. Well, there's, there's over a million properties just on Airbnb, which is one platform uh, domestically. Uh, and so there's a, there's a huge opportunity uh, to, to get into this asset class early on, and it still is early on. Got it. And one thing I just want to understand a little better. So you said there's this downward pressure right now on the annual rental, the traditional rental space um, versus these vacation rentals. And why is that? Because it seems that, you know, on the if you were to go buy a, an annual rental, you know, of course, yeah, you're, we're paying an, an increased price right now, but also the rents have been going up pretty much across the board. Whereas with a vacation home, wouldn't it be kind of similar? It's, you know, if we want to go buy a vacation home, the price of those homes, I assume, has also increased over the, you know, the past year or two. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, as I said, you know, the, the institutional investors uh, basically got into real estate uh, during the, the financial crisis when there were a ton of homes on the foreclosure steps. And they started buying up all those assets. As foreclosures went down, they needed another growth channel. And so that growth channel came from buying homes from individuals directly. This is um, primarily where the iBuyer type model started, started to come from. Uh, in addition, working with developers to just built for rent. So they would build single family homes just for rent. As you've had more demand on, uh, go into that, um, there's, there's more pressure um, on the returns. And so the returns have come down for the annual rental side. They, we haven't had that same life cycle yet for the vacation rental side. I believe it's going to happen, but we're so early on. Um, one thing that's interesting when you, when you do underwriting on vacation rentals, you're really looking at, okay, a purchase price that is today's purchase price. Well, when you're looking at projected revenue, uh, you're looking at the trailing 12 months of revenue. Um, and what the industry is starting to get to is to look at, well, what, what is the forecasted revenue? because the demand is uh, the average daily rates are increasing quite dramatically for future reservations. And so that's where there's a, there's a hard part 
uh, in the vacation rental industry right now because demand is increasing so much uh, that creating those forecasts for the next 12 months um, can be a little bit difficult. And so typically when you're doing underwriting, you're looking at the trailing 12 months and today's purchase price. Um, even though we're seeing the average daily rates increase year over year, but uh, you know, somebody wants to be conservative, they're using the trailing 12 months. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of like that's the only data that you really kind of have to go have to go on, even though the, the future looks pretty promising. And one of the questions I had uh, of going back, I know we're spending some time on the annual rental versus vacation rental, but I think that a lot of investors are kind of stuck on that. And, and I, I see that in conversations with clients fairly often, where with an annual rental, it's maybe a little bit easier to say, okay, you know, places like that unit or that house rent for $2,500 a month. So if I buy it at X price, I take on this mortgage and here's the rent roll that I can anticipate and get it like clockwork for the next 12 months. Whereas with a vacation rental and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like there's a little more room for volatility there where oftentimes it might be seasonal of we want to try and make all that money in the summer or in the ski season or, you know, kind of following the trend of when people flock to that area. And I, I think that's something that folks struggle with of like, all right, we've got to rent it out every weekend for those eight, you know, big weekends of the year. Uh, if we don't, we might not recoup our money and it's more of just a vacation than an investment. Um, yeah. So I think what you might you up, kind of say to that? Yeah, I think you bring up uh, the complexities in, in managing vacation rentals, right? Which uh, it, it is more difficult. And that's why there historically have been less uh, investors purchasing it as strictly for an investment. But as companies like Vacasa professionalize the industry, it becomes easier no matter where you're going to buy it. Um, one of the things that I love about vacation rentals compared to annual rentals is the opportunity to increase yield or rental revenue uh, that you wouldn't have that same opportunity on an annual rental. Typically on an annual rental, uh, you know, your levers to increase revenue, uh, one's location, that's the same, but uh, you, you look at the finishes of the product, right? And it's like, hey, if I want to get more revenue from annual rental, like do upgrades to the property, granite countertops, all that sort of stuff. That still exists in vacation rentals. The other additional opportunities that exist in vacation rentals are uh, things that aren't physical, um, but more putting technology uh, behind it. And so I talked about, uh, you know, the booking channels. When you have a homeowner that's managing an investment property that's only listing it on Verbo, uh, they're not seeing, uh, you know, 50 to 60% of the demand. And so if you're an investor and you see a homeowner is managing a vacation rental on Verbo and it's for sale, there's an opportunity for you to buy that property put it on multiple channels and you're already going to increase revenue compared to what was happening before. In addition, let's say that home only had 10 pictures. If you put 25 uh, HDR high quality photos within that listing, you're gonna increase revenue. Another opportunity is the dynamic rates I talked about. You know, When the industry started out, they just had one rate for weekdays, another rate for weekends. Well, as you just mentioned, holidays, you know, you can make a lot of money on the holidays because there's more demand. And so with companies like Vacasa, you go to a dynamic rate 
you're increasing yield. Uh, again, there's no physical changes to the property. It's what you're doing to manage it. Um, and then there's optimization of increasing revenue by putting in a hot tub, amenities for homeowners, adding pets. People will pay 15% more if they can bring their pet uh, on vacation. So there's a lot of opportunity to increase uh, the revenue on a vacation rental compared to an annual rental. And what is, and I'm kind of sidetracking a little bit here, but what's like a, a security deposit when you want to do a vacation rental? Because, um, you know, it seems like each time you have somebody moving in, it's not somebody, you know, it's not, oh, we're renewing our lease for the next 12 months with Joe. He's a great guy. It's some new person for this week or weekend that you've never heard of. And they want to bring their two dogs in. Um, you know, I think that's one thing people might have a reservation of is it seems like we have a really quick window for potentially high liability. Uh, so how do you combat that? Is it a security deposit or is it more of um, a legal issue where, you know, you're more prone to like lawsuit and that type of field? Yeah, great question. Um, and, and there's lots of solutions out there um, for, uh, you know, the the misbehaving guest. I think one of the first things that uh, Mikasa does is actually looks into the guests and does uh, um, sort of a, a little bit of a background uh, check on the guest. And so uh, that's one thing that if you're managing the property yourself or through a professional manager, like ask what that process is for guest screening. Um, and then it really depends on the property and how long you're renting it for, whether there is going to be a security deposit or not. If you think about just booking a, a property near you for the weekend, you're not going to pay a security deposit likely. Um, you just go online, you give your credit card. Now you do agree that uh, in that user agreement that uh, if the property is damaged, then you are going to pay for it and they have your credit card on file. Um, as you get into rentals that are 30 days or longer, oftentimes there could be a security deposit um, because it could be a landlord-tenant law um, type of agreement. Uh, in addition, very high-end lux properties uh, typically have some sort of security deposit because they have artwork, you know, glass chandeliers, all that sort of stuff. And so there could be a deposit on those properties. But I would say 90% of the inventory does not have a deposit. What homeowners can do uh, and what, what we do at Vacasa is you ensure that that homeowner has uh, specific insurance. And then also the property manager has insurance to cover any, desk, uh, any guest uh, damages. Interesting. And so it's a totally different type of homeowner's insurance that the person would be taking on as a vacation home versus a vacation home for rental? Correct. Many of your existing um, insurance companies can provide it within the existing policy. Uh, it's basically just a, a liability, added liability coverage because um, because you're you're running the asset a little bit differently. Okay, got it, got it. And another question that I had for you here, Sean, because I think it it comes up a lot, and it just this is such a timely conversation we're having because I've seen this in the news recently. You have areas near me like uh, Point Pleasant, which is you know an awesome shore destination. You have the Poconos that everyone wants to vacation, go skiing to, and then I have an, a lot of clients down like in Naples, Florida, which is uh, where a lot of people are entertaining kind of this vacation for rental type opportunity. But in a lot of these areas, they're now passing ordinances that go against short-term rentals. 
So how, how do you maybe alleviate that fear for some of your clients that say, all right, this seems like a slam dunk, let's do it. But in two years, there's nothing to say the new mayor or governor is going to say, oh, you know, you can't rent that for less than a month now at a time. Yeah, great, great question. And I think, um, you know, Airbnb uh, has been um, engaging at the local municipality levels for quite some time re regarding this, um, primarily them in urban markets. But uh, as I said earlier, you know, vacation rentals have been around for a really long time. And there are uh, places around the United States that have already developed uh, models for managing these vacation rentals within their existing cities that work very well. If you look at places like Key West, uh, the coastline of North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, Hilton Head, like vacation rentals have been around for decades and they already have um, these rules and regulations in place. And so what I see going on across the nation is uh, as vacation rental demand uh, increases because it's getting much easier to, you know, go on Airbnb or call up a Vacasa and say, hey, I want to rent my property out anywhere across the nation. Um, you have cities that historically haven't had to deal with uh, or, or work with vacation rental uh, inventory within their city, having to come up with some sort of plans and regulations. And so, uh, you know, what I hope that I see is that these city council members um, do some research and, and or get an expert that comes in that says, hey, here's 10 different cities that have been doing this for decades and here's how they manage it. And so it's not all about just banning vacation rentals because that's actually income for the city. It's about having professional uh, management, even if it's done by a homeowner. And so some of that could just mean, hey, within an hour, if we call the number that's posted on a sign outside the house, somebody needs to show up. Um, that's okay. Vacasa is supportive of all of that because, um, you know, we're, we're against illegal vacation rentals just as much as anyone else. Um, so I think that there's going to start to be some uh, models that come out there where the city council members can go and, uh, you know, look at like, okay, here's 10 different cities. Here's the models they have. Let's see, let's pull the good pieces out that work for us. Uh, so they will still be within the cities, uh, likely, especially in Naples and others. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the other thing I'll just mention, you know, that's one of the benefits of working with uh, a brokerage or uh, someone who understands vacation rentals like Vacasa. One of the things to decrease your risk if you're going to purchase one of these assets is to go in a market that already has that structure uh, already set up, the compliance structure, so that you don't have that concern of, hey, two years from now, like all of this is going to change and I won't be able to rent this out as a short-term rental. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a very good point. And um, I'm glad we touched on some of these different locales because I, I wanted to ask you, uh, last summer we had Ari Rastigar on the show, who they call the Oracle of Austin. He's just done tremendous developments uh, throughout the city of Austin, which since COVID, of course, is booming. And I was asking him kind of what he saw as like the next cities to pop. And he was pointing to places like Nashville, which is already well underway. And then also uh, like Charlotte and um, I think it was Raleigh in North Carolina. What are you seeing for the vacation like rental space? Is there somewhere you're like, hey, this is where you got to look to in the next year? Yeah, uh, great question. I think. Um, so Vacasa started doing these uh, multiple reports 
uh, throughout the year of the best places to buy. And so we just launched our best places to buy a winter vacation home. We also have the top 25 uh, vacation home destinations to buy. And um, we do that based on a cap rate or return rate. And so it's a little bit different for the winter markets than it is the ski or lake markets uh, and or the top 25. Um, so for example, the, the best places to buy a winter vacation home, uh, the number one spot was uh, New Remain, uh, second Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and then third Poconos, Pennsylvania. What's interesting is Gatlinburg, Tennessee has been on uh, all of the reports that we do in the top five or 10 consistently. Uh, there's great guest demand. Uh, you talked about seasonality a little bit earlier. So in the vacation rental industry, uh, you really have markets that are either a one season market. Uh, for example, it might be a, a lake um, town and it's like, hey, no one goes there in the winter because there's nothing to do, but they go there in the summer to boat. Uh, or you have two season markets, could be a ski resort that also has a lake. Um, and then you have more of an uh, even uh, occupancy, which is more like a Kissimmee, Florida around Disney or something like that. Um, so some of the new markets that we see, I would refer uh, people that are listening to go and check out some of those best places to buy reports that Vacasa puts out. And what we consistently see is these new markets popping up that are a little bit smaller. No one, uh, you know, geographically on a broad level has heard of them before. But again, if you look at the map, they're within three, uh, two to three hours from a major population density area. They have things for guests to do in the summer and in the winter, uh, and the price points are still, you know, relatively low in the three to four hundred thousand dollar range. Yeah, yeah. And as we're speaking here, I actually just pulled up that report, and it is interesting because you see, like you mentioned, Gatlinburg, Tennessee is at number one. Saint Augustine, which I am familiar with in Florida, is two. But then you have a number like in Alabama, again, in Tennessee, Georgia. Um, I think some places that aren't, you know, huge name draws like a Disney World, like you mentioned. Uh, so that's interesting to think, you know, that there's, I guess, a big vacation demand for Gulf Shores, Alabama. You know, uh, is that is that something new? Like, does this change quickly or has that been a long time coming? Yeah, so Gulf Shores has been around for, for a long time. You know, there's the inventory there that's uh, condo inventory. Again, it's beach destination and it's, it's warm there. Um, so, but what we are seeing is, like you said, is we're seeing new markets pop up. Uh, and that's, again, we're putting this on a, a category of cap rate. So if you can buy the property a little bit lower and get higher returns, it's going to show up uh, at the top of our list. And so as you start to see these new markets that yet the prices haven't increased dramatically like um, Nashville or others that people have heard about, uh, that's why you're starting to see them on the list. And so I, I do believe we'll see a consistent uh, new additions to the list uh, as you know, people look at this asset class and want to purchase it, but also use it uh, two to three hours from where they're at. And then we're going to see the consistency of the Gatlinburg uh, and others on there because, you know, everybody's heard of it and they want to go there uh, uh, and with their family, but also it's a good destination to go to for guests. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting conversation because it seems like, you know, you're trying to satisfy two needs here and that you want that vacation place that was kind of like your own dream home for you and your family. 
yet we're also saying, well, let's just look at the raw numbers of an investment here and what are our returns. Do you think when people have these conversations, they have to be willing to sacrifice a little on the dream home versus the pure investment and returns? Or do you like your clients to really kind of capture it all? Is that possible? Yeah, uh, really great question. This is one of the things that we, we struggle with when we work with vacation home buyers. And so uh, what we have come up with is a process that helps that person to the best of our abilities, given what their interests are. And so uh, what we recommend our agents do when they work with a vacation home buyer is first start with establishing the clear lifestyle goals. So it's not just what's your financial goal or where do you want to be? It's what, do you, what is the lifestyle goal of this property? Um, and, and that really goes down to, are they planning to use the property one week, two week, a month out of the year, or are they not going to use it at all and it's pure investment? Because that will start to drive the decisions on the, the property location and the property type. If they are going to use it uh, sometimes out of the year, then we really go down to, okay, what do you and your family enjoy doing? Do you like to snow ski? Do you like to mountain bike? Do you like to water ski? Do you like to be at the beach? Because that will drive the destination. And for example, within uh, all of the beach destinations, there's ones that get a higher cap rate than lower cap rates. And so really understanding what's the clear lifestyle goal of this property um, starts to drive the decisions on where, what the property type is, um, and uh, if it's pure investment purpose, it's likely a lot easier um, to say, okay, here are the top markets, here's where the demand is happening, uh, and there's a lot of upside. What we consistently see is if someone comes to us and says, yes, this is a pure investment, you just tell me where to purchase, which we have 500 to 600 people doing per month um, coming to Vacasa saying, hey, I want to buy a vacation home, can you help me? Um, when we tell them, hey, if it's pure financial, here's where you should go, they actually step back a little bit and they say, well, I kind of like this area. So what we find is really deep down, they want to, uh, they want to feel both of those needs, the, their dream home, like you're talking about, but also have some financial uh, benefits from it. And that's where uh, we, can, we can really help. Gotcha. And, uh, and just real quick, can you define cap rate? Because uh, for some of our listeners who might not be familiar, I, I know you've referenced that a few times that it's an important metric. Yeah, uh, cap rate is a way to kind of normalize uh, investment returns uh, without considering the uh, mortgage. So as you can imagine, your mortgage can actually, you know, change what the the returns are. So the cap rate is the net operating income divided by the current market value of the property. So if you add up all of your revenues um, from the property, you take out the expenses, divide that by the current market value, that's what the cap rate is. Got it. Okay, perfect. I think that, that simplified it. And do you have some maybe kind of general advice or, or pointers that you could list out here for people who are saying, hey, you know, I am a homeowner. I got my feet on the ground, starting to put away a little bit of money. And they're entertaining this idea of buying a vacation home, but they would really like the idea of having rental income offset some of their expenses. Uh, what are some things that they should really consider, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly when they go down that road? 
Yeah, uh, as I mentioned, like, what's what's the goal of the property? And it sounds like in the scenario you just mentioned, like they plan to use it. Uh, and then the question is, well, do you want to get on a plane or not? Um, oftentimes we hear, no, I want to be able to drive there for the weekends. And so that really starts to uh, differentiate geographic location. Um, and then it comes down to, well, are you going to be taking care of the, the property yourself or are you going to hire a property manager? Uh, and that really depends on how often you're going to be at the property and how far it is away. What we oftentimes see is um, first time vacation home buyers uh, are a little bit struck by the amount of cost that property management companies charge relative to their understanding of an annual rental. For an annual rental, for example, it might be you know eight to ten percent uh, for the management company. For a vacation rental, the management companies charge anywhere from twenty to thirty-five percent. Um, but there's a lot more that happens to take care of a vacation rental home, and there's a lot more revenue. Um, and so, you know, if they're going to take care of it themselves, uh, sometimes we lean towards um, directing clients to go towards condos where the association takes care of a lot of the upkeep and exterior maintenance of the home, all if it's in a winter destination, the snow removal, all that sort of stuff. If they're going to get a professional manager, you know, the professional manager should be doing those things on behalf of the homeowner. And so uh, that's when you can start to say, okay, well, if somebody's gonna be taking care of this, you know, I can get a, a little bit bigger single family home. Uh, somebody's gonna take care of the exterior maintenance uh, and that sort of thing. And then I would say the, the number one piece uh, to understand is to get good advice from somebody who knows that local market where you're thinking about purchasing and knows vacation rentals. Uh, they can, you know, companies like Vacasa can give you um, a rental projection that shows, hey, here's how much revenue we're estimating you're going to make every month. Um, and uh, yeah, those are really the key pieces to, to understand. The other piece uh, that you mentioned uh, that's very important is uh, what is the local regulatory environment? Um, so if you purchase an existing vacation rental, does that vacation rental permit, if there is one, transfer? Uh, the, the other thing that's really fun about purchasing a vacation rental is there are typically future reservations on the books. And so uh, you as the buyer of that asset actually get those reservations when you purchase the asset. So you can go to the closing table and you know have a, a bunch of money uh, if that's already been collected by uh, the previous owner, uh, because those are for future reservations. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something that everyone looks to where it's a little less speculative when you already have some guaranteed uh, tenants coming in there or clients. And so let's say that you have uh, one of your customers has kind of gone through this process, they've narrowed it down, and they're ready to go. They're all excited to, to buy this property. I think uh, a lot of people understand if they buy a, a normal residence that a conventional mortgage, they put 20% down. I hear lots of times when you're buying an investment, you're putting 25% down. What do uh, most of your clients uh, look for? Are they buying cash? Are they getting mortgages? What's kind of the trend that you're seeing right now? Yeah, um, another great question. And this is, goes into the vacation home buyer report that we do annually. Uh, anyone can go down there, uh, go on our website and download that. It really shows at the different price points, uh, what's being purchased 100% cash and what's not. You know, uh, from memory, about 45% of the vacation rentals are purchased without a mortgage. 
um, which is a very high number compared to if you look at the um, traditional uh, real estate purchases. Um, many people buy it as a second home where you can just put uh, 20% down. Uh, again, you can, there's some limits on how much you can rent it out. Um, and, you know, traditionally, like you mentioned, you can put 25% down and purchase uh, an investment property, which is very similar to uh, vacation rentals. One of the things that we're starting to see is the mortgage industry start to accept vacation rental income. Uh, it's still not broadly accepted. There are some smaller lenders that are starting to underwrite these. Um, it's interesting. They're having to look at this change in our culture as well and say, okay, we have underwriting for annual rentals because it's consistent. Here's how much it is every month. With vacation rentals, although you know the returns can be much higher, um, they don't have the models yet to say, okay, here's how we underwrite a vacation home. Uh, that is coming. We're starting to see some of the, the smaller mortgage companies underwrite them. I believe in the next 18 to 24 months, you're going to see a vacation rental mortgage plans kind of rolled across the industry at, at the mortgage level. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And I imagine that that would just be a shot in the arm for the whole uh, industry as a vacation rental. Yeah, for sure. And I, as I mentioned, like you can get them now, it just takes you uh, a few phone calls or, you know, reach out to, to, a, to, to a brokerage that does vacation rentals and they can put you in touch with somebody. Um, but, you, you know, if you go to any of the major um, players, they, they really don't have products yet. Yeah, it's just not prominent quite yet. So this was really cool, Sean. I mean, I think we could talk kind of all day about this because everybody knows real estate. Everybody wants to have a home. Everybody wants to have a place to vacation. And here you're kind of merging the two. Um, so it's, and it's always changing. So, I mean, it's such an interesting topic. And with that said, I mean, is there anything that, that we didn't cover or that you want to make sure you kind of, uh, you know, cool our listeners into? Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate the time. And I think, as I mentioned before, this is still early days for the vacation rental as a real estate investment. So if you're thinking, oh, I kind of, uh, I missed the opportunity. You definitely did not. Um, I would recommend people check out the best places to buy reports that we put out. We put out for a year. Um, and then uh, it's really about just uh, reaching out to individuals who have been in this industry who can, uh, who can help and doing some research. And Mikasa is here to, to help with that process. Yep, that's awesome. All right, cool. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in today. I think this is a great conversation with Sean Greer, the Vice President of Real Estate and Strategic Growth with Vacasa. And uh, keep tuning in, leave us a review wherever you're listening, and we will see you next time. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. This is the Kaderna Podcast. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. 
Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.